from Michigan Radio. This is It's Just Politics. I'm Zoe Clark. It is January 6th, 2023. It has been two years since the violent insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. This week, more details are emerging about the role that some Michiganders played in trying to overturn the 2020 election. Meantime, a longtime Democratic staple at the U.S. Capitol, Michigan Senator Debbie Stabenow, announced this week she will not run for re-election. And names are already floating about who will run for the coveted seat. Our political roundtable will join us to dig in. But first, Michigan's new legislature begins its new term next week. And for the first time in nearly 40 years, Democrats are in control of the state Senate. The new Senate Majority Leader is Winnie Brinks, and she joins us now. Senator, welcome. Thank you. What can we expect next week with this new legislature with Democratic control of both chambers? Yeah, we're excited. We've got 40 years of pent-up policy that we are waiting to unroll. And so we are getting our first bills ready for introduction, of course, and the first day festivities and programming is all in place. So we're ready to welcome new members in and to get started. Well, folks across the state and many insidery types in Lansing, I mean, they're waiting to see what Democrats do first when it comes to policy. As you noted, it has been 40 years since Democrats have had this control. So, you know, right to work, gun control. I'm curious how you're thinking about and leading your caucus in determining just what comes first. Yeah, there's a lot of that are um, really ready to roll, right? We've got some things that we've been talking about for many years, um, some things that the Republicans in the majority were unwilling to really have meaningful conversations about that are clearly priorities of the Democrats. And so you'll see us talking about those things. We hope to get immediate movement on things like the earned income tax credit Uh, restoration uh, on things like repealing the retirement tax and doing things for economic development that really make this a great place for people to work and for companies to come. Uh, We will also be working on uh, some of the things that the people spoke to us about during the campaign season. One prominent thing, of course, is the repeal of the 1931 criminalization of abortion. The voters were very clear about that. uh, So that will be something you see early, as well as making sure that we're an equality state that values uh, and protects the rights of the LGBTQ community when it comes to things like housing and uh, employment. Many, many Democratic lawmakers who are coming back, right, they've only served in the minority. I'm curious to that extent how much time you think will sort of be spent repealing laws first kind of starting with a clean slate and saying here, you know, these are Democratic priorities that we want to pass that haven't for decades. Yeah, there certainly will be some things that are repeals, but there's a lot of really good proactive policy that we can put forth uh, and that we're excited about. You need only look back on the last 10 years or so of different things that that members of our own caucus have introduced in the past. You'll see a lot of echoes of those policy priorities. We, of course, are going to take a new look at them and any bill packages from the past, make sure that they are really adequate for the moment we're in, that they're addressing any new challenges. be checking with stakeholders and people in our communities to make sure that the policy is right. So we'll be thoughtful. We'll do our homework. But you're going to see some familiar themes. I want to ask this question and and not be flip about it, but certainly Democrats, as I noted, really only know the minority in the legislature. Do Democrats in Lansing know how to govern as the majority? 
Yeah, we're a little rusty, I think. Uh, that's an accurate assessment. We're going to do everything that we can with that knowledge uh, to make sure that we are adequately equipped. So we will go through some training, some talking, discussing what the differences are and understanding where our power is uh, so that we can be as effective as possible. But I would remind you that this is something we've thought about for a very long time. We've got excellent staff. We've got an incredibly talented caucus coming to the Senate and one that I'm very excited to lead. So I have confidence that we'll get our feet under us and that we will be able to rise to the the challenges of being in the majority. Senator, how much pressure are you under to repeal right to work? You know, it's no surprise to anyone that the Democrats have been talking about right to work, but not just right to work, uh, a whole set of policies that would really send a strong message that we value workers and that as important as it is to attract those big businesses and you see those huge economic development announcements come through the news, but it's just as important for us as Democrats to make sure that this is a great place to work and that uh, workers and working families are receiving an appropriate reward for their contribution to the success of our state. So it's not just right to work. There are also other policies that you'll see us roll out uh, and we'll roll those out early in our term and that we'll send a strong message that we value those workers as well. Senator, as I I noted, there are a lot of firsts uh, happening in Lansing this year, Uh, and that includes Joe Tate, first black speaker of the Michigan House, you, first woman Senate majority leader. So much talk about representation, that representation matters in legislating. Can you tell me about what this moment looks like for you? Yeah, it's a really gratifying moment for um, me as an individual and to be able to be the first woman to lead a majority caucus ever in the history of Michigan is just an honor. And to serve alongside Joe Tate is going to be uh, an incredible honor and opportunity for us to really make a difference. So we're both very excited about that. And I think it's important for us to remember it's it's not just being first as a woman or as a, a Black person that is the important thing. The thing that's really valuable about having people whose voices have not always been heard in the halls of power is that when we're sitting at the heads of those tables, we know what it's like to have our voices ignored. And we are that much more likely to listen to people and to bring them into the important conversations about policy and budgets uh, in a meaningful way so that we have true representation, not just a diverse group of people that make a nice photo. We are going to have those voices present in our conversations, making decisions with us. Michigan Senate Majority Leader Winnie Brinks, thanks so much for the time. Thank you so much. Let's turn now to our political roundtable. Jonathan Osting, Capitol reporter with Bridge, Michigan, and Craig Mauger, state politics reporter with the Detroit News. Hey, you two. Hey, Zoe. Hey. So, Craig, I want to start with you. It has been two years today since the attack on the U.S. Capitol. But for weeks and weeks leading up to that day's violence, there were plots to overturn the 2020 election. And just this week, More and more details are coming to light. Craig, you wrote this week about new voicemails purportedly by a member of former President Donald Trump's legal campaign team asking for access to voting machines in Michigan. Yeah, that's right. It seems like every week, even two years out, we learn more and more about what was happening behind the scenes as supporters of former President Donald Trump sought to overturn Michigan's 2020 election. 
We've obtained these voicemails through an open records request that show one, a person named Mark Foster, an attorney who has ties to Michigan and said he was working with Donald Trump's campaign, called the Rochester Hills clerk, Tina Barton, and basically asked her for access to her Dominion voting machine, despite the fact that in Oakland County where Tina Barton was located, they did not use Dominion voting machines. We also know that Pat Colbeck was attempting to pressure and urge multiple clerks in the state, including Tina Barton, according to another new voicemail, to provide uh, an opportunity to examine voting data and machines uh, for some type of unnamed forensic group that he was working with. This is just an example of how we're learning more and more by the day. Let's take a listen to uh, these voicemails again that the Detroit News Craig Mauger has obtained. Yes, hello, this is Mark Foster for Tina Barton. Uh, Tina, um, I'm a lawyer uh, with uh, Rudy Giuliani's team working for the president, and uh, we need access to the Dominion machines, which we understand uh, may be something that you could help us with in Oakland County. If you could please call me back, I'd deeply appreciate it. Hey, Tina, this is Pat Colbeck. We've got a cyber forensics group on the ground here in southeast Michigan, and we're looking for some additional targets of opportunity for <clears throat> getting access to Dominion systems and uh, wondering if by any chance they would be able to take a peek and get access to, to um, systems under your control. If that's the case, please give me a call. Jonathan, this isn't the only time that access to voting machines in Michigan has been sought. Remind us about former Attorney General candidate Matt DiPerno, who's actually under investigation. Yeah, that's right. So Matt DiPerno did uh, eventually get a court order allowing him to take a look at uh, voting machines in Antrim County. Um, But according to the Michigan Attorney General's office, he uh, also was part of a group um, that tried and in some instances seemed to uh, seemingly did get access to voting machines in some other parts of the state um, that was not legally sanctioned. Um, we know from the January 6 committee uh, records that recently came out as well that you know Rudy Giuliani, who was mentioned in that voicemail, was seemingly particularly obsessed with Michigan. You know, it was one of his main focuses. Um, and in uh, recent depositions that were released, Sidney Powell, another Trump-affiliated attorney, said that you know Rudy Giuliani had actually um, been part of a team that tried to access those Antrim County voting machines even before there was a court order. Um, she said it was a, uh, well, she swore it was a S show. I can't say the word. <laughs> it didn't work Thank out. Thank you. Uh, but um, clear that Giuliani was uh, in communication with Matt DiPerno and was part of those efforts to uh, get uh, access in Antrim County before there was a court order that actually legally allowed it. Craig, it feels like watching all of this, reading your pieces and Jonathan's, that kind of each time we find something new and it's kind of this giant puzzle, right? And so we get these puzzle pieces pieces and start putting them together. What is the picture uh, more and more showing you about what was truly going on here? I would say two things on that. I would say one, I think we're increasingly coming to the understanding that there was some type of coordinated effort across multiple groups and multiple actors 
to try to obtain these voting machines. And as we also know, the Secretary of State's office has said these clerks should not be providing this type of access to their voting machines. It can damage the voting machines and make it so they can't be used again in future elections. The other piece that I think we're learning more and more about is this scheme to install and offer a slate of false electors in the state of Michigan and some somehow overturn the results of the 2020 election. It seems that uh, the Republican electors were not aware of what they were signing. Someone, whether it be another GOP official or the Trump campaign, got these people to sign this certificate. And it was despite the fact that they knew pretty obviously that Trump did not win Michigan's election, but they signed a document claiming that he did. Right. These are more documents uh, coming out from the U.S. House January 6th committee that you both have been reading through. This is a deposition of Laura Cox. It was like 90 pages. Cox was the chair of the Michigan Republican Party during the 2020 election. And as you note, this deposition sheds more light on this plan to have Trump electors actually spend the night at the state capitol in order to submit a false certificate, a a false group of electors, you know, should the 2020 election actually be challenged. Um, Jonathan, in this deposition, what's new is like Cox notes that she intervened. She previously called the plan insane, but that she intervened by calling former Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky. Yeah, that's right. And basically dissuaded him or tried to urge him not to allow uh, whatever senator was planning to allow these fake electors to camp out in his or her office um, to try and dissuade them from doing so. And apparently um, that worked. We know from from Shirky's own deposition that, uh, you know, he um, at least uh, later on was opposed to the efforts to overturn the election, didn't go along with this sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Cox also noted, you know, to, to Craig's point about maybe the electors not knowing what they actually signed. She she said that she actually was proposing more of a uh, a ceremonial document that that could have been signed by just one person that, um, you know, said in case the Biden electors were not seated or something that these Trump electors would be willing to. But the document that was eventually, you know, forward to the archives was much different. It claimed that these electors were appointed in the Michigan Capitol, which is false. Um, <laughs> and it claimed that they were also legally appointed electors of Trump, which was false. So the document that was eventually sent in was much different than the version Laura Cox had uh, had talked about, um, you know, trying to to uh, sort of steer the uh, steer the uh, electors towards. And that point that Jonathan's making is incredibly important in the grand scheme of things, because there is a law in Michigan against election related forgery. And the key phrase in that law is to violate it. You have to file or publish or create a false document with the intent to defraud. Mm -hmm. So as investigators are looking at this, if they can prove, hey, these electors knew they weren't the electors, still they signed a document that said they were. And also maybe there was someone in GOP headquarters who was you know, giving them a false understanding, trying to encourage them to sign something that they didn't understand. All of this could potentially go to this idea of proving that someone had the intent to defraud the government Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to, again, what feels like kind of week by week, finding out more and more. And as we know, uh, what the January 6th committee was trying to do, too, to try to really explore who was doing what 
and when. Um, I want to, in the final few minutes that we have, turn to this other huge news out of Washington, D.C. and Michigan, and that is uh, the announcement from U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow that she is not going to run for re-election in 2024. A long time Michigan politician, nearly 50 years of service. Jonathan, how surprised were you by this announcement? Well, I was surprised. And, you know, at first I was like, wait, was I not hearing things from sources? But then I talked to sources and like even, you know, Governor Jim Blanchard, former governor, he's pretty Mm -hmm. plugged into Michigan Democratic politics. He was stunned. I was the first person that told him. So so there were certainly some high ranking Democrats in the state even that weren't expecting this, at least not immediately. So it was a shockwave. Kudos to the Detroit News that that broke the story. uh, that that she was stepping down. Uh, that was that was the first uh, indication for a lot of folks in the state that that was going to happen. Um, obviously, Senator Stabenow, um, you know, was a is a titan in Michigan politics. I mean, she um, has been in the Senate since uh, you know two thousand one, but also a long track record in the state legislature. Uh, you know, broke some glass ceilings at various points um, as a you know the first uh, woman to be elected uh, to the Senate from Michigan. Um, she was also the first woman on the Ingham County Commission decades earlier. So um, just a huge political career and a real shock uh, to a lot of folks around the state. That said, a lot of people were really quick to to uh, say they might be interested in running. <laughs> I was going to say, Craig, in the last minute that we have, I want to hear from some names. Uh, I know you are digging into who's in and who's out, but first. You're both not running. Like, I feel like everybody now is asking everybody, are you strongly looking at it? Not running and not running for House Speaker either, for the record. (laughs) Sources close to Jonathan Osteen tell me he's not running. um... (laughs) Who are you watching for? uh, Who's in and who's out? Because, man, the the political machinations and consequences of this are, are far reaching. Yeah, I think on the Democratic side right now, I mean, the name that keeps coming up over and over again is Alyssa Slotkin, the current representative from the Lansing area. She has been the focus of the most conversation behind the scenes right now. There are others that people are watching closely. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, State Senator Mallory McMorrow. These are a couple of people that uh, could, you know, jump in this race as well and, and, and run really solid campaigns potentially. On the Republican side, it's a complete jump ball. You're hearing the name John James. You're Hearing uh, Kevin Rinky, the former gubernatorial candidate, is looking at this closely. Tudor Dixon, Perry Johnson, the list goes on and on. It's a lot of uncertainty on the GOP side right now. And we are all going to be watching it. Craig Mauger with the Detroit News, Jonathan Osting with Bridge, Michigan. Hey, you two, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. And that is It's Just Politics for today. I am Zoe Clark. Have a fabulous weekend. Let's talk next week.